Hey folks, this week on the show, we've got Mike McClelland. Uh, Mike got cut from the Bass Pro Tour and is fishing the Invitationals this year. And so we dove into that, sort of got a bit of an update on his career, like his mindset going into this reset. Um, And then we talked about a bunch of other stuff too. Uh, We hit some rules things, you know... We hit some format kind of things and really had a pretty wide-ranging discussion that I think was pretty interesting. We also are likely going to come back around to Mike and do something that's more focused on lure design in a future show. Um, because honestly, there's a lot of meat on the bone there when it comes to the rock crawler, the you know the mixed stick, and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, but anyway, here is Mike McClelland. Alrighty, and we are joined now by Mike McClelland, uh, was on the Bass Pro Tour. Uh, Mike, you were part of the first round of cuts, so to speak, and you're fishing the Invitationals next year, but man, thanks for coming on the show. I'm really curious to uh, sort of dive into this new part of your career here. Um, Yeah, it's definitely uh, very humbling. It's one of those things that uh, in this sport, you really never know uh, what the next year holds i mean it's it's always kind of been that way jody when you really look through the history of this sport i mean you've seen guys you know that come and go and guys that slip out and then get back in uh you know i actually had a uh, previous time in my career just you know some uh, personal issues uh going on back in the early 2000s that uh, i actually did step away from uh you know fishing the tour for about a year year and a half and then uh things kind of got back in check and it allowed me to, you know, kind of restart, reset my career. And I know uh, just, you know, a couple of days ago when you and I talked, that's kind of the way you laid this out. This was kind of like a reset point in my career. And uh, I guess that's the way I'm looking at it. You know, it's one of those situations that uh, I hate it that it's happened. I really feel uh, pretty personally responsible for allowing it to happen. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of things that, uh, that kind of led into it. And, uh, you know, one of the main reasons that I am excited about fishing the invitationals next year is, uh, due to the fact that we have seen a format change. So, uh, that's a big part of, uh, my drive now to, uh, try to get back in the Bass Pro Tour. Yeah. Cause you know, the, uh, let's see. So you finished 60th in points, I think in 2020 mm-hmm. on the Bass Pro Tour, which is not great. Not, absolute bottom of the barrel the last two years were really tough years for you but during that time in 2021 you finished ninth in points on the pro circuit like if you do that next year on the invitationals you're right back on the bass pro tour and it's there's sometimes you watch a guy's career and you kind of can sense that it's fading right and Mm -hmm. just like I don't feel like your statistics back up that sense at all, right? Like, this is something that you've had a couple tough years, but I don't, in my head, I can't really build a case for, like, oh, this is the last we've seen of Mike McClelland. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like you're at a different point than, you know, some folks, maybe. 
I definitely agree with you, and I definitely appreciate uh, you laying it out that way. I feel like I have some really good years left in me, Jody. I really do. And, uh, you know, a couple years ago, uh, the pro circuit, um, it was an absolute blast. I really hadn't had the opportunity to fish many five-fish tournaments since the inception of the Bass Pro Tour back in, I guess it was, what was it, eight nineteen. So it was one of those situations where I realized when I started fishing the pro circuit a couple of years ago, how much more I enjoy that format. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to deny it. I mean, from the day that we started the Bass Pro Tour, I have somewhat been shocked that it took this long for anglers to decide that they would rather see a format change. And I'll be the first to admit, I have not performed well in the Every Fish Counts format from day one in the Bass Pro Tour. I mean, I've had a couple of decent events along the way. I think I've, you know, my best two finishes on the Bass Pro Tour, if I'm not mistaken, have been 11th place. Two times I was, you know, just a fish or two from making championship round. And both of those events that I finished 11th in, were relatively tough events they were those grinding events you know where catching eight or eight or nine bass a day was a big deal and fortunately i was one of those that caught a few better fish in my creel you know so i you know finished 11th in a couple of events but the every fish format has just never really fit my style and uh going back through my career you know, you look at the uh, the wins that I've had and uh, the successes I've had in my career. I mean, I, I can look back at those events, and none of those events were ever wrapped around catching numbers of fish. They were always wrapped around spending a lot of time, you know, figuring out where I could catch one or two fish here and there. I, I've always been that guy that kind of goes off the beaten path. I don't like to fish in crowds. I don't like to fish areas of the lake that get a lot of pressure and that's kind of how i've you know built my career so the everfish format has just never really fit my style personally when you uh like sort of embarked on the bass pro tour did you have like right out of the gate did you worry about that for you personally or did you kind of just see it as an opportunity regardless and you were going to like you didn't think about the format as much. I'm going to have to be completely honest there. I mean, I I definitely, uh, you know, and I guess I've got to answer that two ways. I did look at it as a awesome opportunity. I mean, there, there's no doubt that the every fish counts format is the most exciting, most exhilarating, the hardest you will ever work tournament fishing in your life. And I enjoyed that aspect of it from being involved in the cups, you know, the number of years leading up to the Bass Pro Tour. I absolutely loved the cup format. It was no practice. We didn't know what lakes we were going to. Everybody hit the lake on an equal playing field. But when the Bass Pro Tour started and all of a sudden you have practice involved, pre-practice involved, You've got so many different variables that, yeah, I'll I'll have to admit, it did concern me because I've just never been that person that not only looked for ways to catch lots of fish, but I was never that person that really enjoyed catching 
lots of fish. I mean, every day I hit the lake, my number one goal has always been I want to go out and catch the the best fish that I can catch today throughout the course of the day. And uh, that's just kind of the focus I've always had. But I did concern myself a little bit with it. And I guess the other thing that kind of shocked me, like I said, was there were a lot of other anglers at the start of the Bass Pro Tour that were somewhat concerned about it. And I really felt like as an angler, as many anglers as I was hearing from, that, you know, it might not remain every fish counts as long as it did. I I didn't necessarily think we would ever go to a five fish limit, but I thought, you know, maybe we would see a 10 fish limit or a 12 fish limit or an eight fish limit where you did have, you know, to say, uh, you know, a restrictor plate. You had a goal to get to, and then the field kind of equaled out a little bit. So yeah, it it did concern me uh, from the very beginning of the, the Bass Pro Tour. When it changed to a two pound minimum, did you did you see that as did you think that that would change how you were able to fish those events or how you were able to perform in them, or did you not see the two pound? Did you see it needed to be a number situation, not a minimum weight situation, for you to like really feel like you could thrive? Oh, I definitely felt like the two pound minimum was definitely going to help the situation, and and it did. I mean, you know, it. Uh, it definitely allowed a lot more anglers to uh, to start fishing their strengths again. Um, I think at that point, I, I was so frustrated with my performance from the, the prior year that I, I actually got caught up in, okay, if, if I'm going to do well in this event, you know, this is what I'm going to have to do. Rather than going to an event and fishing the way I wanted to fish, I would force myself to, you know, pick a spinning rod up more and uh, try to figure out how to catch, you know, numbers instead of uh, better quality fish. And uh, I I do think the two-pound minimum definitely helped the overall scene, the overall perception of the league. I think it, uh, you know, definitely showed that uh, we weren't going to just continue to catch a bunch of little ones everywhere we went. So um, it, it did help, but I don't think it, it definitely it didn't specifically help me because I had already put myself a little bit behind the eight ball, you know, the first couple of years of competition with the one pound minimum. Yeah. Did you find yourself trying to change your strategy? Not to like keep talking oh, about the bad stuff, but you know, I feel like it would be really easy to just get totally out of your comfort zone and be like, I've got to, scrap the stuff that I love to do to, you know, compete with these guys who are putting up huge numbers. I definitely felt that way, you know, and, and again, that's, uh, after being involved in this sport for as long as I've been involved in it, it was really tough. You know, I mean, I, I'm not one of those anglers that just showed up the last, you know, eight or 10 years. I mean, I, uh, I started fishing, you know, professionally, uh, I guess what you could say and, somewhat of a full-time manner back in uh you know i guess basically about uh, 1999 or 2000 so you know being in the sport that long having a comfort level with myself and the way i fish not to say that i haven't learned new techniques over the years and that i haven't utilized the spinning rod in certain situations over the years and various things you know you you have to continue to to keep up with the trends and and improve as an angler as time's gone on without a doubt but there's uh 
a lot of things that I really enjoyed doing that really kind of got taken out of the equation with uh, the Bass Pro Tour and the Every Fish Counts format. You know, it. Uh, I love to skip a jig around boat docks, and uh, I love to, you know, go in a creek and look for those two or three isolated pieces of cover, whether it be visible or something you find on your your Garmin side scan or, or forward-facing sonar. You know, those little uh, jewels is what I've always liked to look for, and uh, it really took a lot of that stuff away. I mean, and, and just the, the way I had built my career for the past, you know, 20 years had, had all changed. And, and there's been some guys that have, have adapted very well, you know, and I'm just one of those guys that didn't grasp it as quick as I needed to grasp it. Yeah, I could, I could see that. And, like, some of it is, it's not like you came from a part of the country or something where you couldn't do that. Like, I look at a guy like Jeremy Lawyer, who, you know, he's younger in his career than you are, but mm-hmm. I feel like he probably grew up doing many of the same things, you know, that you love to do. You know, he throws a big top water, yeah. he skips a jig, and he seems to have really taken to that format pretty well um while also you know knocking it out of the park with five fish stuff pretty consistently so it's not like it it it, it, it didn't work well for you but it's not like it's an impossible thing to do you know to, to change how you fish a little um, oh i definitely agree with that i mean you look at the the successes that uh you know, some of the anglers that I've fished throughout my career around. And, uh, you know, Gary Klein has had some very, very good events on, on the Major League Fishing Every Fish Counts format. Um, you know, there's a number of guys that uh, over the course of the past four or five years have, have excelled in in certain events. But, uh, you know, as a whole, it's it's hard to teach, you know, a dog new tricks. I mean, it's just – it's one of those things that uh, – not to say again, you know, that I haven't evolved as an angler and I haven't, you know, stayed up with the trends, but uh, it's definitely one of those situations that I feel like the anglers that had been doing this longer have probably struggled a little bit more with the format change than the ones that have come into the sport probably since the introduction of live scope. You know, when you look at, uh, what live scope has done to this sport. I really believe that that group of anglers that has come up in the last 10 years has just such a huge advantage. And the thing that's frustrating to me is the first year I ran forward facing sonar, I won an open here on table rock exclusively using forward facing sonar. And (laughs) I thought, in the early days, I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. But as forward-facing sonar has advanced, I've tried to advance with it, but I don't think I've advanced at the same level that this younger generation has advanced at. You know, their their technology, the, the era they grow up, grew up in is so much different than the era I grew up in that I just think they uh, continue to stay a little bit ahead of the, the ones of us that have been in this industry longer. Dang. So that was the let's see, 2017, were you using, was that LiveScope or was that Panoptics? It was or? It was actually the very first version, which was Panoptics. It was, I think, the second evolution of Transducer, but it was still the original Panoptics forward-facing sonar. Okay. So 
not the know, not the big brick one. <laughs> Yeah, not yeah. the big, no, it wasn't the big square one, but it was the first, you know, somewhat streamlined uh, forward-facing panoptics transducer that was available uh, before the introduction of LiveScope, I believe, two years later. Yep. That's, uh, that's really cool that you were on the forefront of that. And it's interesting, like, I feel like there have been some other folks who have been on the real leading edge and then maybe haven't quite kept up with some of the kids. Like, I think Jacob Wheeler was on the leading edge, and obviously he's kept up with everyone. But Scott Martin was on the leading edge, and I think you can name a lot of people who I would say are sort of better, quote, live scopers than Scott Martin now. Despite, like, I, you know, I know he was doing it in a, you know, Forestwood Cup on Lake Wachita back in the day, Mm -hmm. I think with the brick transducer. So it's interesting that you would say that and like I, I don't know why it would be though because you would think if you figured it out that early like you would just have the edge the whole way through you know I've, I've got your answer because this is what we have continued to see throughout the course of this sport you know if you can go back in time and and just pick any any way that guys have had success in this sport and you can see that they didn't stay on the leading edge of it. I mean, you go back into the early days when flipping first hit the scene. You know, you had Tommy Mart or Tommy Biffle and Denny Brower just killing everybody. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that other guys weren't capable of doing it. It wasn't that Tommy and Denny couldn't keep doing it. It was the fact that once the cat got out of the bag and the pressure increased, where those guys were fishing, it equalized the field. And the same thing has happened throughout the course of time. I feel like I was an angler that was on the leading edge of when we first got mapping. I mean, that was the prime of my career back in that 2005 to 2008 or 10, eight or nine era. I won an event every year. And it was when mapping, Navionics mapping had really first hit the tournament scene. And I grasped it. I mean, I had spent my whole career early on pulling out topographical maps of these lakes and studying them for hours and picking two or three areas of the lake that I liked the way the lake set up topographically. And I would go out and idle for hours without side view, without anything but just 2D sonar and figure out how the topographical point laid out or, you know, what the, the bottom structure was. And when mapping first hit, I grasped it. I understood the fact that you could shade depth contours. There were so many things that myself and Jeff Creed, actually, we really grasped that technology. And and we both had, you know, three or four years there where we were leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of guys when it came to offshore structure and ledge fishing. And then as the years progressed, everybody learned, you know, what we were doing and the pressure increased out there. And and I really believe that's the same thing that's happening with forward-facing sonar in today's era. You had some guys that were on the leading edge. Then you had this group of younger, younger anglers that grasped the technology better than those ones of us that might have been on the leading edge, and they've taken it to the next level. And now instead of, you know, half of the field being out there live scoping, 80% of the field is out there live scoping. So the fish are getting pressured more. And I really feel like these fish feel the pressure way more than a lot of us want to admit they do. 
Yeah, I can see that. What do you think has been the bigger advancement? The the mapping or, you know, forward-facing sonar? Because now you've seen, you've definitely seen both. And I kind of, I grew up in an era with bad mapping. Like, I definitely have used paper maps to, like, find my way around mm-hmm. a lake. But since I got moderately good at fishing, like, I've always been able to plug an avionics chip into my graph, pretty much, and get a pretty good idea of what I'm doing. Like, it seems... I don't remember an era of competitive fishing pre-maps, for me, anyway. I would have to say that in today's ages, and it's hard to think about taking something away from, you know, an angler after you've gotten so used to using it. But I really believe that so much of what we do with forward-facing sonar still re- it still evolves around mapping. I mean, when we go out and start looking for fish that we can live scope, those suspended fish that are out there on bait, there's still a reason those fish are there due to the topographical layout of a lake. So me personally, I would have to say that mapping is a bigger part of being able to find the fish but once you do find them there's no denying that live scope is truly allows an angler to catch fish that we were just about never able to catch i mean for years we always talked about suspended fish being the absolute hardest fish to catch and in all honesty after live scope introduction those suspended fish can be the easiest fish to catch once you're able to present a bait to them properly so, yeah, they bite pretty good if you can actually like, really cast at them. <laughs> and that's just the thing. You know, with 2D sonar, you couldn't get on top of some of these fish because they sit so high in the water column uh, that you never sometimes even knew they were there. And, uh, you know, live scope has probably really changed the face of fishing more so than even mapping just due to what you're able to accomplish with live scope once you do find them it would take longer to find them with live scope without mapping but i truly believe live scope has changed it even more so than mapping has yeah i i do i think i agree with you because especially on smaller lakes you know mapping is not there's there's a lot of times where mapping isn't a big deal right like on a big lake you've never been to it's a huge deal but Mm -hmm. for a lot of small lakes even some lakes like there's quite a few Ozark lakes where you can kind of look at the bank and be like, all right, I see what I see here. Uh, and there's a lot of like on the Tennessee river, huge deal. A lot of other lakes, Mm -hmm. I would rather be able to just see everything that I wouldn't have thought about before, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. It's, it's definitely crazy to, see where this industry and the technology has taken us and you know where it might take us even farther into the future i mean it, it's no telling what we may see come you know we we all thought that uh, when you know side side scan and uh, clear view came into the picture that uh, you know that was going to be as as good as it got and we just keep seeing advancements that make it better and better uh, year after year so there's no telling what we might be able to do in the next uh, you know six eight ten years yeah, no, no doubt. Um, as far as go, looking ahead to this season, uh, you've got the invitationals on your plate. I think it's a like a fascinating schedule because 
there's a bunch of stuff that we really haven't been to very much. Like, it's, I would say, a pretty shallow forward schedule. Like, did you, as you were getting ready for the season, think thinking about what you were going to do, finding out if you were going to be able to fish the Bass Pro Tour again, like, did you have any thoughts of just, like, taking a year off or fishing the Opens or, like, doing a couple of years, like, doing a Toyota Series division at home? Or were you always, like, going to just lean back in as much as you could? Oh, I definitely uh, have had a lot to think about. And, uh, you know, even still as we sat here today talking, I feel like I have made the right decision. But uh, I can't deny the fact that I didn't think about fishing the Opens. You know, it uh, it was a thought. I uh, definitely knew if I chose to fish the Bass or the Major League Fishing Invitationals that uh, I was going to mix some Toyota Series into it as well, just due to the simple fact that, uh, and it probably wouldn't even matter, but uh, the Toyota Championship uh, just happens to be here on Table Rock Lake next fall. Yeah, I figure you want to fish that one. <laughs> That was definitely, you know, something that caught my interest. And, you know, when you look at the number of events that I typically like to fish, I'm not one of those anglers that's happy just fishing, you know, eight or ten, well, I shouldn't say eight or ten, seven to ten tournaments a year. I mean, if you go back through the course of my career, I have always been that angler. You know, even back when I was fishing the elites, I generally always fished a division, if not, you know, some two divisions of the Opens. I always try to find a few regional tournaments around the house here that I can fish with my son or brother or something like that. Uh, I love to fish. I love to compete. I mean, that's what drives me. And there was never a thought about taking a year off. I mean, I I don't know that I could have found enough tournaments around the house here to fish to keep that uh, competitive drive uh, satisfied. So, it never even crossed my mind that I wasn't going to fish. It was just, you know, where am I going to fish? And, you know, just as you said, I mean, there was a lot of uh, uncertainty about whether or not I would actually fall out of the Bass Pro Tour. There were a lot of rumors of, uh, you know, potentially some guys that were going to move over and try to requalify for the elites. Uh, I really believe if the format had not changed to five fish, I would be back in the Bass Pro Tour and, maybe not been completely happy about it because I would have been, you know, back in there fishing for every fish counts again. And so there were a lot of things that were really pretty uncertain until just a few weeks ago, you know? So, uh, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a a struggle for me to, to keep, uh, my focus. Uh, like I said, the biggest thing is, is I knew I wasn't going to take a year off. It's just was trying to decide where to fish. And, you know, when I looked at the schedule of the Invitationals, uh, there there's some places on that schedule that I've had success. You know, uh, Okeechobee hasn't ever been a huge strong point for me, but I, I've had some decent events there. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, even in the year that I finished ninth in the points in the, the pro circuit, I had my worst tournament at Okeechobee. It was, it was self-inflicted, but... Uh, I ended up, I think, 95th at Okeechobee uh, the first year of the pro circuit fishing and ended up ninth in the points at the end of that year. So, uh, you know, I've got something to, I guess, kind of prove at Okeechobee that, yeah, I can go down there and I can be consistent enough to to come out of there with what I need to 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 keep myself in the points up. But then you look at uh, Clarksville. 
Haven't been there since, uh, I guess, the year after I won, but uh, I won at Clarks Hill in 2007. Uh, I'm sure the lake has changed dramatically since then, but, uh, you know, it's exciting to go back to a lake you've had success on. You can always go to a lake that you've had success on. I think I won in uh, 2007 and made the top 10 in 2008. So, you know, I've had two pretty good events there. That lake kind of fits my style. It, uh, it offers uh, that ability to run around and, and junk fish, you know, catch one off the dock here, catch one off the stump here and, you know, just kind of junk it up and, uh, you know, come out of the day with a, a good bag of fish. So I'm looking forward to Clark's Hill and then, uh, you know, as the season progresses, things change up a little bit. I, I love to go to the Potomac River. Uh, I think I had my strongest finish on the uh, pro circuit a couple years ago at the Potomac. So I it's always that place. Well. <laughs> it's, it's fun. Yeah, in fact, you and I uh, ran into each other uh, in the back of a creek and uh, got some good photos, and I think I was working on them pretty good about that you time. Were, you so, were torching uh, them then. <laughs> Yeah, so you know that's a that's an event I'm looking forward to, and uh, of course, Lake of the Ozarks is on the schedule. Uh, it, it should land in the time of the year that uh, you know we're we're going to be so close to you know it being full blown spawn to being some pre spawn and a little bit of post spawn all mixed in the in together that you know I feel like that's an event that I can uh, you know come out of with a strong finish, and uh, I think what we end up at. Uh, lacrosse and lacrosse has kind of been one of those places for me again that's been uh been a up and down deal you know i have a really good one there and then have a tough one there but uh it's always a fun place to go fish have you ever been to lake eufaula before in oklahoma because i have never been there i know we've had some bfls there but it just seems like that seems like the biggest mystery on the schedule which kind of excites me yeah, Lake Eufaula is somewhat a mystery, and uh, I have actually spent quite a bit of time on Eufaula, but it's been 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, my brother and I used to fish a lot of team tournaments together, and Eufaula always ended up on the schedule. Central Pro-Am back in my early years of uh, uh, fishing tournaments uh, went to Eufaula probably every year, if not every other year. And then, uh, you know, fishing some of the BFLs back in the early days, I – I spent some time on Eufaula. Eufaula is one of those lakes that, uh, you know, it's been through some phases kind of like Grand. You know, it's been a phenomenal lake at times, and then it's been a really tough lake at times. Uh, I think the fact that Eufaula does offer, you know, uh, all three species now. Uh, you know, smallmouth wasn't always a big, big deal at Eufaula, but the smallmouth fishing has really come on at Eufaula. There's, uh, you know, a good population of largemouth and a so-so population of spotted bass as well. And, the big kicker at Eufaula is going to be the lake level. You know, there's been so many years I've been at Eufaula where the lake's up, uh, a lot of flipping, a lot of pitching, a lot of, you know, shallow, shallow fishing. And uh, that was kind of always what I really looked forward to, to go to Eufaula. You know, there was always a lot of bushes and willow trees and and shallow cover to fish. And I don't know how much the lake's changed not spending any time on it. You know, a lot of our lakes in this region – that used to have a lot of bushes and willow trees really don't even during the high water times don't have as much of that cover available now. So I'm sure you've always changed as well, but uh, it should be a good event. And I, I do think the history that I've had on it will help. And I think the fact that I think the last time I really spent time on Eufaula, I didn't even have mapping. So I think to be able to go to Eufaula with uh 
you know, the Garmin mapping that we have now should be a tremendous help, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that event. Yeah, I've been uh, looking at maps of that lake a lot recently, writing the previews for it, and uh, mm-hmm. let me tell you, it looks pretty dang sketchy to navigate without a map. That's uh, some bold stuff. <laughs> it, it definitely is, and there's some regions of that lake that I have never navigated due to that fact. I mean, there, the, the Canadian River was, you know, always one of those you would turn into the Canadian River arm uh, after you went through the triangle and it would be like, oh my gosh, where do I even start? How do I even attempt to run through this? Because it was just a, you know, a solid field of timber. And, uh, I'm sure as the lakes aged and a lot of that timbers broke off at the water level, it, uh, is even going to be harder to navigate. So I think that is going to be a challenge, uh, even with mapping. I don't, uh, know how good the mapping is actually going to be as far as, you know, being able to navigate some of those areas that have a lot of timber in them. But, uh, Mapping is going to be a big deal at Eufaula, and I think just the advancement that we've had, uh, you know, is going to put a lot of anglers in a in a good place there. Yeah, I wonder if there's, uh, like, you know how you can get chips for, you know, Toledo Bend or Sam Rayburn that have those boat lanes and things marked on them? I, I bet that that doesn't exist I for Eufaula. I honestly do not know if that even exists for Eufaula. It's one of those lakes that... Uh, you know, there's been a number of tournaments, and there's a lot of local events, you know, that are held on that lake, but I just don't know that there's ever been enough commercial, you know, guiding and uh, draw to that lake to ever put somebody in the position where they would actually spend the time to uh, to create those those running lanes and things of that nature. Yeah. Now, when you said the triangle, what part of the lake is that? Because I'm literally still learning this lake. I've never set eyes yeah, on it before. I- it, it essentially is just south of, uh, I guess it would be kind of south of Eufaula. You basically got an area of the lake where there's three bridges, and uh, it's just always been referred to as the Triangle. Uh, okay, it's okay. where you can either go to the Canadian River, you can run south. Uh, can't even think of what the name of the town is that you run south to. but It's like a it's big kind creek of a big to the south, lake. though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, I think okay. it's Gaines Creek, maybe, if I remember correctly. And it's just an area where everything kind of splits, and it's just always been referred to as the triangle. All right, it makes sense, because there is a triangle right there with those bridges, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. have, uh, I never would have thought about it otherwise. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a really cool lake, I'm, or at least really cool looking lake. I'm really looking forward to getting there. And I'm kind of yeah, looking forward but, to yeah. just the schedule in general next year from, like, a shallow perspective, like, I love watching guys live scope them, but like, I think we'll get to see a lot of old school stuff work really well next year. I definitely agree with you there, and you know, it's it's one of those situations that uh, as much as I love to go out and play with live scope, it it does get to the point where you know that kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. You know, when I had the uh, early success with Panoptic here at Table Rock, I. I thought, man, I'm I'm really looking forward to this leading up into the next few years. And then as you started seeing how dominant LiveScope was becoming, it, it kind of got to that point where you felt forced, you know, to get out there and, and try to find them on LiveScope. It, it took away that ability to just go shallow and fish the way so many of us grew up fishing and so many of us loved to fish. And, uh, I agree with you. I mean, next year's schedule is going to offer a lot of shallow water opportunities, but uh, I'm going to be the first to admit, I mean, as good as everyone has gotten with LiveScope, there's going to be a lot of fish caught using LiveScope next year as well. I I don't doubt that one bit. 
for sure. What uh, like, what are your goals for next year? Uh, is it just make that top eight requalify? Is it something else? Uh, is it something like a personal goal? Like, I want to just feel my fishing improve or come back to the level of that you know it can be. What's what's a successful season? Well, I think the the whole thing, like you kind of brought up in this interview from the start of it is uh being able to get back to the things that i really love to do i mean i think this format and this schedule and what i'm trying to accomplish all falls into one place and that's fishing my strengths i mean i don't remember the last time that i truly had two or three football jigs tied on on the deck of my boat not to say that i haven't caught a bass or two on a football jig over the past four or five years but it's been very limited, and, and they still catch them on a football jig. I mean, there's so many things that I have taken out of my arsenal the last three or four years knowing that I had to catch numbers versus, you know, just catching the five best fish I can catch. And now knowing that I'm trying to requalify to get back to the Bass Pro Tour that is now going to be a five-fish format, I really feel like that's the biggest thing that I have to try to accomplish this year is getting back to my comfort zone, fishing the way – that I have fished through the course of my career and uh, putting it all back together. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to fish the Toyota Series as well. Um, so I guess to, to go back to the, the invitationals, I mean, number one goal is to requalify for the Bass Pro Tour. Uh, the second goal would be to put myself in a position to win an event along the way. You know, two years ago when I fished the Pro Circuit, um, I'm going to say I probably went into every one of those events trying to figure out a way to win. And there were two or three of those events that, you know, it, it came down to the fact I've got to make sure I catch five today to, to keep myself, you know, in good point standings to qualify for the championship. Well, now that there's not a championship available in the invitationals, it's truly all about requalifying for the Bass Pro Tour. But then when I look at the Toyota series, I mean, I definitely have a goal to be here at Table Rock next fall fishing uh, the Toyota series championship. You know, there's, there's a lot of money to be won in that event. And uh, I do think that I am going to have to fish the Toyota series under the uh, wild card division. So it's going to allow me to pick and choose uh, some Toyota series events uh, across the United States here that, that mesh with our travel schedule. You know, my wife and I travel uh, with a fifth wheel. Uh, she spends, time on the road with me she's my social media support she's the one that keeps everything rolling when uh when i'm out there on the water fishing so you know we'll try to work in some toyota series around uh our travels uh from the invitationals uh as we move down the roads do you you don't really know which ones you're going to make yet or have i know for for a fact i am going to start for sure at the harris chain is going to be the first toyota series event i fish i don't think i will fish anymore in that division uh, i will more than likely go from there to fish grand i believe would be the next toyota series event that i would fish um i definitely will try to work uh well i, I think for sure i've already figured out i can fish lake of the ozarks which is another one in the same division but i don't know that i will be able to make the kentucky lake uh toyota series which i believe is uh the other the third one in the plains division so more than likely from there it's just going to be trying to figure out you know which one of them actually fits into my schedule the best and 
you know, you're going to have to keep an eye on the points. You know, I may fish three or four and, and be in the points good enough, but as the season progresses, you may have to fish another one to, to make sure you keep your point uh, level high enough to uh, end up in the, what is it, the top 25 that transfer onto the Toyota Series Championship. So I'll fish as many of them as I need to fish to make sure I stay in there. All right. Yeah, I think that that's a good plan. I Definitely, I mean, that's one of those – that's one of those tournaments, you know, if it's going to be in your wheelhouse, uh, like, you should probably try pretty hard to be there because the Toyota Series Championships kind of turned into, like, it's, it's kind of turned deal. into a really big deal, which has been yeah. fun to see. Like, it's it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a big deal. I mean, the growth that we've seen at, uh, you know, the weekend series level and, uh, you know, the Toyota Series the last few years has been pretty phenomenal, the growth that we've seen there. I mean, you know, the invitationals are full again with a waiting list for most all of the events. So, I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, a huge statement that, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that are wanting to try to transfer onto the Bass Pro Tour. And uh, it's just one of those situations that uh, so far the economy doesn't seem to be slowing uh, tournament angling down. And uh, it's really kind of shocked me to a degree, but uh, it's, it's pretty shocking you know i'm just i'm excited about the new year i mean i've got my new uh, ranger 521r sitting here in the garage unrigged uh, getting ready to start rigging it uh, getting ready and you know we're going to be on the road again here in the next you know bare minimum four weeks uh headed down to florida to try to get out of this cold weather and and get a head start uh on uh you know acclimating myself for the florida events i plan to fish you know i'll be fishing the uh, toyota series down there as well as the uh first invitational so i definitely plan to spend a little bit extra time in florida just uh doing some pre-practice and getting ready for those events yeah there's something special about going down to florida at the beginning of the year i know it's like i know it can be up and down and all that jazz but man it's uh it's just nice to get down be in flip-flops feel a little sun on get out of the cold weather exactly And like I, I love a early season Texas tournament, but it's usually not warm at those. <laughs> In Florida, you yeah, at least get sure. a few days of really nice weather. <laughs> yeah, you can you can have some pretty miserable cold fronts pass through there that time of the year, and I, I definitely feel like you know a, a forty eight or fifty degree day in Florida can seem colder than a thirty two degree degree day here in the Ozarks. But uh, it's definitely that sunshine makes all the difference in the world. No, no doubt. Um, I had a couple other sort of format and rules things that I wanted to hit. Um, one of them, do you think, what sort of changes do you think we'll see with five fish and a score tracker on the Bass Pro Tour? Obviously, you're not going to be in it right off the bat, but you've got score tracker experience, you've got five fish experience, how do you think that will affect people? Do you think it'll be sort of just dead ahead guys fish like they used to? Or do you think we'll see like changes in strategy uh, now that folks know what everyone has? I have always said from day one of the formation of the Cups, when I went to the very first major league fishing cup event at lake amistad in whatever year that was that we started i can't even remember what year it was now but uh when we as anglers all hit the water with live score tracker 
to me, that was the biggest changing force of what major league fishing has done to this industry. Being able to know what the true score is as the day progresses is going to totally change the way the anglers that pay attention to score tracker fish. And I've always been one of those anglers. And maybe that's been part of my struggle with the format is that I do try to stay on top of who's catching them and you know what is you know what is happening you know at least every 10 to 15 minutes i really feel like you know i've been one that uh, follows the 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 moon phases and how fish react to those moon phases and when fish bite and score tracker is uh, definitely opened our eyes up to the fact that there's a lot of tournaments that we fish and i'm not going to say there's not an oddball fish or two caught you know, during the course of almost every day when nobody else is catching them. But you can tell that when score tracker starts moving, if you're not around them or if you're not catching them, if you're not around them, I mean, that that's all there is to it. And I guess to, to answer your question, I think the thing that score tracker is going to do with a five fish limit on the Bash Pro Tour is it is going to allow guys to make adjustments to catch the fish that they need to catch to make the advances they need to. And and what I mean by that is, you know, if, if I'm sitting here or, you know, you've got an angler sitting there with, you know, five that weigh 13 pounds and the cut line is, you know, five that weighs 17 or 18, he knows he's got to catch a five or six pounder to, to, to get himself to the cut line. He's not going to keep doing what he's doing. More than likely he's going to pick up a big bait. He's going to make a, a 20 or 30 minute run to go try to catch a big one somewhere. And I think the excitement level that that is going to bring back to the five fish limit, is going to be incredible. I mean, for years, all anglers that have ever fished under the five fish format, never have known the score. And I don't know how many days I have come in at the end of the day and thought I had had a good day with a good bag, you know, 18, 19, 20 pounds, and get to the weigh-in and realize, man, I needed 20 more pounds, or not 20 more, but I needed 24 pounds to have had a good day today, and I, I basically practiced half the day. You're not going to do that with, with Score Tracker. You're going to continue to keep the pedal down if you're not in the cut line, and I, I think it's going to be incredible. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of excitement. I think you're going to see a lot more tactics utilized by anglers. I think anglers are going to be able to promote themselves and their strengths and they're going to be able to promote the products they believe in, the products that have gotten them to where they are as tournament anglers. They're going to be able to promote their sponsors in a much broader, better way than we have been able to do with the Everfish format counts. Yeah, I'm kind of with you because I feel like with every fish counts, the answer to not doing well is almost always you just flat out, you've got to catch more fish. Like, you can't be worried about, oh, I got to catch a little bit bigger fish. You just got to catch more. And with the, uh, like, if you're, if you need to do better for five fish, sometimes that might mean catching more fish and you're just going to trust that the big ones are going to mix in. And on some lakes, there's, there's that's going to mean doing something totally different. That. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely guys that feel like if they catch enough fish, they're eventually going to catch a big one. 
But I have always been one of those people that believes there are ways to catch a bigger one. You know, I, I don't know how many tournaments over the course of the years that, you know, I've got five good ones and, and uh, I've caught them on a rock crawler or a McStick and I put it down and I tie a six inch, you know, swim bait on or a bigger swim bait. And, and I know I'm not going to get many bites, but if I get one, it's going to be the one I need. And those are the things that you're going to see guys do. You're going to see a guy you know, pick up a big topwater and fish for a few bites. You're going to see a guy pick up a buzzbait and, you know, fish a bunch of water that uh, you might not have seen him fish if, if he was fishing and every fish format counts. So I just really believe the education aspect of the sport of fishing is going to come back around. Not that we haven't educated people on how to go catch a lot of fish, because we have. I think we've opened the eyes to uh, – to a number of people that had no idea that some of these lakes had the numbers of fish that they've got in them with the every fish format counts. But I think that we have lacked teaching those people how to go catch a bigger one when they want to and, and things of that nature. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Um, the other rule thing is for the invitationals as of now, you're allowed to throw umbrella rigs and I think there are some guys that don't really care about it, some guys that are kind of interested, like, hey, maybe I'll pick up a rig. We've got some guys who've done well in the Toyota Series on Umbrella Rig who are signed up for the Invitationals. What's your stance on it? You know, I mean, the biggest thing that I'm going to say about that is, I I'll be honest with you, I, as an angler, did not read into the rules that far to even realize that an Umbrella Rig was allowed in the invitationals next year until i listened to uh, a podcast you did with matt stefan a few weeks ago um i actually just randomly was going through things and i'm like i think i'm gonna listen to jody and matt stefan's uh, podcast and uh you brought it up and i thought oh that can't be right it's got to be an oversight somebody <laughs> forgot to take it out of the toyota series rules the first time and i read I it i wasn't i didn't it. think it was right either <laughs> I've dug into it a little bit, and I have found out that it is, it is indeed in the rules. Um, I do think, isn't it limited to three hooks, no matter where we go? Yeah, so it's it's the same rule as it is for, like, the BFLs and the Toyota Series, where it's three hooks, but up to five wires, up to five blades, up to five baits. But you've always, if you have five baits, you know, you got to have two dummies, basically. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing there is, you know, back in the era when the umbrella rig first hit and guys were allowed to throw as many live hooks as they could based on state laws, allowed the umbrella rig to be more effective. Um, I do look at this year's schedule, and I don't know that it will play in very many of the events we're fishing. Yeah. So I think Clark's Hill I, I'm not is one I would throw. maybe Clark's circle. Hill. Clark's Hill, I did circle. Yeah, I'm not going to throw a fit if we do indeed end up fishing the season with the umbrella rig. But the, the one stance I do have on it is for the last five, maybe even more years than that, the umbrella rig has not been allowed to be, be thrown on any of the top tour level events. And I think at some point in time, there's got to be that transition from, you know, you're trying to qualify for the very upper echelon of tournament fishing by fishing the invitationals to get into the Bass Pro Tour. It is not allowed on the Bass Pro Tour. So I really feel like you're almost doing those anglers 
a disservice by allowing them to throw it in the invitationals because if a guy gets through the invitationals throwing it and that is his strength and then he ends up in the Bass Pro Tour not able to throw it, I really feel like it it, it really is going to be tough for an angler like that to make the adjustment. You know, even if the schedule doesn't necessarily set up for an umbrella rig to play throughout the course of the year. You know, if there were one or two events that that's what got him over the hump, he's going to be in a, in a world of hurt moving on to that next level. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of things about it. I, I've, I've always been one that didn't agree with it. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not going to throw a fit. I would love to see the possibility of it being put up for an angler vote and, uh, you know, whatever the majority would like to see, then, then we'll live with that. But, uh, I think there's a lot of anglers that did not know that it had been put back in the rules. I know I personally, since you had the podcast with Matt, I've called eight or ten anglers and just said, hey, you, you know we can throw the umbrella rig in the Invitationals next year? Oh, no, we can't. I'm like, yeah, we can. <laughs> I mean, so I, I anglers... think there's a lot of guys that didn't read that into the rules, and uh, I think there's a lot of guys that would actually uh, like to put it up for an angler vote. Bass anglers are definitely not famed for being amazing at reading rules. Uh, that's something that we could probably all improve on. But I would be really curious to see. I'd re- I'd be really curious to see an angler vote on it. Because uh, one, it seems like the kind of thing that is uh, like it's it would merit an angler vote. Like it's a somewhat controversial issue. At the same time, it's not the end of the world. It's not a huge. I suspect it's not huge financially one way or the other for the company. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I'd just be really curious to get some more data on that because I love it when anglers vote on stuff. I like to find out what they I think. I think it would be. Yeah, I think it would be cool to see. And, you know, like I said, I mean, we really, and that's one thing about Major League Fishing, uh, you know, throughout the, the course of the past four or five years is a lot of the changes that have been made have been driven by the anglers themselves. And, you know, this is a uh, part of Major League Fishing. I uh, don't know that there's ever been an opportunity for m- many Toyota Series level anglers to vote on something like this or actually have an influence on what actually does take place. So, uh, you know, it would be pretty cool to see that happen. And uh, I've made a call or two, sent an email, and uh, we'll see what does happen out of it. Yeah, no, no doubt. On that same line, then, what do you think about nets? Because there's no nets on the Bass Pro Tour, and if you're going to qualify up to it, well, you got to be prepared to land them without a net. Uh, at the same time, I mean, nets are really effective for getting fish in the boat. Uh, what's your what, what's your stance on that for the Invitationals? Do you have a Do you have one? You know, I really don't have a stance. See, the only time, in my opinion, and it's probably the only time I use a net, is when we go smallmouth fishing. You know, I really do believe when we go smallmouth fishing and you're catching a lot of those big smallmouth on lighter line, nets actually become more of a conservation situation. You can land one of those big smallmouth so much faster if you have the opportunity to use a net. I don't remember the last time I utilize the net. In fact, probably the times I've tried to utilize one in a shallow water largemouth fishing event, even when I've caught a big one, I've probably lost fish more trying to use a net than not using one. So, 
you know, I've not used the net for so many years that the only time even fishing the pro circuit the past couple years that I used the net was when we went smallmouth fishing, just due to the fact of it just, it, it allows an easier landing of those big smallmouth. But, uh, that's one of those situations that I really don't care one way or the other. Um, if they wanted to take nets out, I would vote right along with them. But if guys want to use nets, I'm whatever the majority wants, I'm fine with. And, and, and I feel the same way about the Alabama rig. I mean, if the majority truly wants to see the Alabama rig, then, then I'll live with it. I'll, uh, I'll dig some Alabama rigs out and I might mix it into my arsenal somewhere, but, uh, it's definitely not going to be something that I plan my year around. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, pro circuit photos of you uh, where you have a net and you can see it on the uh, on the back deck while you're boat flipping a fish in. <laughs> uh, so yeah. definitely, it's like you had it there just in case. And I agree with you yeah. on the smallmouth front. I think you can land them twice as fast, maybe faster. Uh, and it's healthier for those fish. You know, the the longer you fight those smallmouth, the more apt that 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 there there is the opportunity for them to be stressed more yeah and, especially you know, if you have to put them in a live well exactly most large mouth we catch we we the battle is short and those fish are not stressed very badly once they get to the boat and they do fine but uh when when you get in those situations where you can land one of those big smallmouth quicker it makes it a lot easier on that fish uh being put in a live well for sure so one thing you've been doing this fall is you've been fishing the team series events which i from watching the pilot you know that first episode that they shot down in florida it was honestly one of the coolest you know pieces of bass fishing content that i've watched on tv because i got to listen to you know michael neal and skeet reese and the lane brothers talk about how they were trying to figure out how to catch bass right like it was fascinating um and you heard you got to listen to him way more than other than your typical programming or watching live like what's it been like for you to fish these events it's been incredible i I was an angler that got to fish the very first general tires team series event this year that we had in minnesota uh had an awesome team i mean I, i was paired up with wesley strader scott suggs two anglers that I've known basically my whole career. We basically all three started about the same time fishing professionally. So, you know, we've got a lot of history. We, we've cut up a lot. We've talked fishing over the years a lot before the rules changed to the no information, no visiting with your fellow anglers. I mean, Scott and Wesley and I had talked fishing for a number of years at uh, different levels of fishing. So to be put back in that, team format where all of a sudden we're on a conference call i mean we are in constant communication with one another i will have to go out on a limb right now and say that when these team events air there is not a team that talks more than wesley and scott and i i mean it can't be i mean it's got wesley (laughs) (laughs) i mean when we start the day i mean from the first bite to you know, whatever we were doing in that team event, everything that was happening, we were talking about. Scott maybe was the least talkative of the bunch, but Scott's one of those guys that gets zoned in. And I mean, when he figures it out, it starts coming out. But uh, 
until he starts catching them or getting a few bites, Scott was a little quiet. Wesley and I, on the other hand, I mean, we're just having kind of casual, casual conversation like two guys standing on the front deck fishing with one another. And that's what it was like. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think it's going to be just like you said, the team events are going to be one of those situations that all of a sudden the viewer of those events is going to be blown away by the information that these anglers are sharing with one another. And I don't know about all the other teams, but I think they're going to be pretty blown away when they, they see how in detail and how specific, you know, Wesley and Scott and I were about, you know, how deep was that bite? Was it, you know, was it inside the grass? Was it outside the grass? Was it on a boat dock? Was it on the outside corner of the backside? I mean, every little detail that can be covered is covered in those team events. And, you know, once you establish a pattern or once you establish, you know, how we were catching them, man, it was a blast to just roll with that and uh, see the other anglers, you know, evolve to, you know, you catching one doing something different than they were. So it, it was a cool event. And, I, I'm like you. I really believe once uh, people start viewing these, they're going to be like, where has this been all of our life? Are there any tweaks you would make to it? One thing I've thought about is I thought it'd be really cool if it was two pros in the same boat. But then they might not talk as much. And I feel like the talking really, is one of the key things. Yeah. I will have to say when the team format was first presented to us i was kind of like you i thought well it'd be a lot cooler if we were actually in the boat with one another but after actually fishing the event having the ability to break a lake down independently but working as a team as you did it i actually like i love the format the way it is the only thing that i guess i would see that i could say might be a tweak is that restrictor plate just like we talked about with the new rule in the bass pro tour um I do think there might be opportunities that a restrictor plate might need to be imposed just due to the fact when you've got three guys catching them, and once that team figures a pattern out, they can put some weight on the board so fast that it may need to be a, you know, 10 fish per man or, you know, I just think that that would be the only tweak moving into the future that I could see even possibly being made just to keep the competition a little closer because there's definitely that opportunity for a team to get so far ahead that there's no way another team can catch them. I mean, you know, just in the one event that I fished and heard the results of of what went on throughout the course of uh, that one team event that I was at, you can definitely see that, uh, you know, when you got three guys piling them on the board, it, it adds up in a hurry. You can make up a deficit in a hurry, but you can sure create one in a hurry. Those score tracker reports must be intense to listen to, especially in Minnesota. Like, the fishing can be really good up there, right? Like, you can get on some big numbers. Or, you know, a lot of places yeah, you can get on big numbers. And if maybe it's you guys are racking it up. Maybe it's somebody else, but it could probably get super annoying for, you know, any team that's not catching them to just be bombarded would, by three dudes killing it. <laughs> I would totally agree with that. And, and I, and I saw that happen. I mean, when you're not the one catching them and all of a sudden the team goes up on you, you know, I mean, three, four, five fish puts you down 10, 12, 15 pounds. 
And I mean, all of a sudden, you know, especially when you fish the Bass Pro Tour under that format, you're like, we've got, or I've got to make up 15 pounds until you realize that, whoa, this is a team event. I don't have to do it all on my own. It can be really, really stressful. I mean, you know, I, I saw our team go through those swings where we would be so many pounds down that it's like, how do we overcome this? And then actually overcome it, you know, and then go down again. So it, it definitely, uh, the score tracker can be probably even more intense in the team events than it was in the Bass Pro Tour itself. Yeah, but I, I just, I would have cool. to say, you better watch them. I mean, you know, I don't know how the other events went because I wasn't a part of them. But being a part of that Minnesota event, just like you said, there are some incredible fisheries in Minnesota. And I personally had no idea how many bass lived in some of those small lakes that we fished. But uh, you're going to see some numbers put up uh, from the Minnesota team event that would make your head spin. I know they had an event here in Missouri. The lakes they fished, I would have a hard time believing could even rival the numbers that we put up in Minnesota. And then there, you know, there's been a team event in Texas as well. So, you know, Texas has got some lakes that definitely have some numbers in them, but uh, that Minnesota event's going to be a fun one to watch. I promise you. Well, I tell you what, I'm definitely looking forward to watching the team series events. Um, I, if they're anything as good as the first one, and I assume they'll be better, uh, they're going to be a lot of fun and they're going to be like really educational, but Mike, I've taken up over an hour of your time now, um, and I think we might put some other topics on the back burner for a future show, but uh, before I let you go, um, where can folks find more Mike McClellan, keep up with you, all that jazz? Oh, man, you know, we're, we're on all the social channels. We've got Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, so, you know, be sure and uh, look look me up, Mike McClellan, professional bass angler. There are a few other Mike McClellans in the sport, so uh, that can be a little bit confusing. But, yeah, all my social channels, and uh, definitely enjoyed the day today. I'm excited about the new year. I, you know, can't, can't deny the fact that I'm frustrated with the format change that I allowed myself to fall out of the Bass Pro Tour, but uh, – it's eyes forward. You got to put the past behind you and move on. You know, it's a, it's a reset. Just like you said, uh, I've got to get myself uh, back to doing what Mike McClellan loves to do, catching them the way I like to fish and uh, looking forward to uh, a great year on the invitationals in the Toyota series, hopefully end up here at uh, Table Rock Lake for the Toyota series championship. And it's been a pleasure to be on with you today, Jody. Well, absolutely, man. And I will, uh, See you down in Florida in honestly not too long. It's going to sneak up on us. We'll be there before we know it. <laughs>